0: Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and we're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. And I'll admit it's been a while since we've done our last Deep in Scripture, but the reason I've been putting it off for almost 15 years, and I'm joking, of course, is I just had to have the right guest come along. And so I was fortunate to be able to invite Matt Swaim to join. Matt, you said you've been on here before, right?
1: I have a couple of times uh, over the course of well, the 15-year-long silence.
0: <laughs> no, I, I know that you have, and it's good to have you back. And uh, Matt not only wears a gazillion hats, including uh, they're on the the morning show
1: still. Is that the title of it? I, I'm never up that early. The morning show? Yeah, we toyed around with that. Uh, it's the Sunrise Morning Show, yes, on uh, on EWTN radio. That's right. And, uh, uh,
0: it's uh, of course, I've got to say that I've heard... I wish that I was getting it. Where I live, I don't have a radio station that gets Catholic Radio. You know, I'm on Catholic Radio myself, and I can't get it where I live. So, I've got to work harder to to get the local broadcasters to get a Catholic Radio signal out to where I live on my farm. So, but, uh, Matt, it's great to have you here. And what I'd like you to do in this program before we start, what verse we're going to look at, I want to ask you to let our audience know a little bit about where you've come from. As you're thinking about introducing this scripture to them, let them know about your spiritual background, what they need to know as we look at this verse.
1: Sure. Well, there, as you know, are are a thousand ways to tell this story, but I'll kind of aim it uh, towards the verse we're going to describe today. And, uh, you know, I was born at right at the cusp of the 80s, I was born in 79, so I experienced the 80s full on, yeah. meaning that all the you know movements that took place in kind of mainstream evangelicalism, the religious right, um, evangelism explosion, all that stuff, I had a front row seat to. Mm-hmm. Um, I never remember a time when I was not a Christian. Um, I do remember a time when I prayed the sinner's prayer, and that would be during vacation Bible school in, uh, I believe it was 1987. And uh, Miss Nancy, uh, you know, showed me a little tract, and it was a little comic book style tract that had a kid who was talking about a five-fingered glove, and each finger on the glove was a different color. Remember it well. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I prayed that prayer at the end, and I understood that I was, you know moving from the black and red fingers to the white fingers and the green where I would grow in faith. Uh, I grew up um, in mostly a holiness tradition uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. So I understood that it was not a once saved, always saved gig. I understood that there was a responsibility now um, that I had accepted Christ into my heart and that I had, some certain things that I couldn't do anymore, you know, at age six or seven, you know, you don't have to give up a whole lot, but, uh, <laughs> um, but understanding that holiness was a part of this. Um, I went on to uh, become pretty involved in youth ministry, um, both on the receiving and giving end. Uh, I got involved in music. Uh, it was actually, uh, in a roundabout way, my involvement in music that led me towards considering the Catholic Church because it got me thinking down the road of what does, uh, you know, what does art mean? What does beauty mean? What do the transcendentals of truth, beauty, and goodness all, all mean together? Um, and so through studying that, I, I came to understand that um, music and art weren't just what people thought were interesting and popular now, but there was something kind of deep and rooted and transcendent to a, to, to all of this. And so, um, through that as a performer, as a music performer, uh, as someone who is involved in the, um, bookstore industry, selling a lot of Christian books, uh, I thought, you know, what is literature beyond what happens to be the bestseller now? And, um, and just thinking in general about, you know, what is Christian thought like farther back than Phineas F. Brzee, the founder of the church of the Nazarene, uh, that, that led me to the, to the door of the Catholic church, but all of it w- was focused around, um, how do I understand who Jesus is and what he wants from me? Um, that was always the driving, uh, question. And so, uh, without, you know, spoiling too much, I know we're going to talk about Psalm 51. You talk all, right. all the time about verses i never saw right as a protestant this is a verse i always saw (laughs) well so
0: it's interesting you say that because did you always see it i mean that's kind of what the the idea here is you know what's fascinating to me as you described your your journey i won't go through mine of course but yet i was 40 years before i was a catholic always an active christian but never ever a shade of your brand of Christianity. I was a Lutheran, a Congregationalist, and a Presbyterian pastor. Always more the one saved, always saved to some extent. Lutheran, you're always a sinner covered by grace, but you're always at the core a sinner. Um, And then a Congregationalist still of the covenant, Calvinist camp, and then a Presbyterian, Uh, very much a a four-and-a-half pointer, so the the, the point being the idea of what you went through was so radically different than my understanding of Christianity. So the point being, you take a verse like Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, and how did we understand it? You and I would have understood it quite a bit differently before.
1: Yeah. And I, I, would, I would just say that just as foreign as the idea of the Catholic interpretation of this passage was, the Calvinist interpretation of this passage would have been equally foreign to me, um, where it says, and, and just to give the context, this is what David writes after he's been busted, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> putting Uriah on the front lines, having a man killed because he was having an affair with this soldier's wife. I mean, this is about as low as David goes. Yep. And he praised the words of uh, Psalm 51, 10, which what well, we would come to understand is Psalm 51. Uh, when he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, I would have understood that in a few different ways. Uh, you know, you came from a once saved, always saved background. I came from a turn your life over to Christ and live in holiness. And when you mess up, we call that backsliding. Yeah. And when you backslide, <laughs> you got to rededicate. <laughs> and that usually happens towards the end of the sermon with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me just see that hand, the pastor would say. And, uh, you know, people would be invited up to the altar to recommit because they had fallen short of the uh, path of holiness. Very much a product of the revivalist movement. Uh, that came in through the first and second great awakenings very much a product of the english patrimony that came through yeah. the anglican church by way of john wesley through to the methodists so there was always this understanding that it wasn't just a put a white cloak over me lord and i shall be seen as holy but rather create in me a clean heart oh god but there was always in that um, in that idea of constantly rededicating like did it really work this time because we also had this tension between salvation and sanctification in that holiness tradition in that you know there's salvation which is what gets you in the door but it's a certain point you come to this point where you don't even want to sin and you don't even have a temptation towards sin and so that once you get the, to that point It almost kind of functions, or at least the Holiness tradition I was part of, almost functioned like a once saved, always saved, except it was once sanctified, always sanctified, sanctified (laughs) kind of concept. Um,
0: The I think an interesting part, from my perspective, and which have been different than yours, is that for many of us, once saved, always saved types, we weren't always sure what to deal with the Old Testament we weren't always sure what to deal with the teachings of Jesus that called for holiness, because we recognize that we're saved by grace. Jesus did it for us long before we were born. And if we are of the elect, it was because it was totally his gratuitous choice, had nothing to do with us. And because we didn't earn it, we can't lose it. No matter how we live, though, we weren't as bold as Luther to say, I could commit ten, uh, adultery 10,000 times in a day and not lose my salvation. We weren't that bold. We, were, we wouldn't misinterpret Paul to say sin boldly in that sense. But we expected to live holy, good lives, but it didn't affect our eternity. So what we would have emphasized in this verse was the, we would, the, the verse you stopped reading at because we would emphasize more restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In other words, mm-hmm. uh, help me feel good about it again, yeah. because the, the sin part has been taken care of Jesus. When If I die, you know, you'd mentioned the evangelization explosion. Hey, if you die tonight and God asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom? And our answer was supposed to be not pointing to ourself, but pointing to Jesus pointing to over Christ. there. Yeah. He did it for me. So, um, whether I have a clean heart or not, Jesus doesn't see it. God doesn't see it because it's covered by the righteousness of Christ. We weren't sure what to do with that. Now, I will say that I was growing towards holiness because... Scripture says you're called to holiness. In other words, Mm -hmm. it's one thing, it doesn't matter what Luther, Calvin said and all that is one thing, but when you look at Scripture, excuse me, but it's saying all the time the need to abide in
1: in Christ. Yes. Go ahead. Even in this passage, it says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We know that David's predecessor, Saul, messed things up so badly that the anointing was rescinded uh i mean not the anointing on the holy spirit's part but the sense that we're going to shift the focus to david um that there's a very real sense that david knows what happened with saul and he knows that he can violate this trust so badly that god could move on to someone else just like god moved on from saul to david Uh, so there's a very real sense that you can lose your salvation even in the words of this this yeah. song. You know, um, and I've got to say something, Matt, about this, because in my
0: journey to the church, one of the eye openers for me was when I recognized that in the early church fathers, their scriptures were the Old Testament. It just didn't cross my mind before. You know, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament. In fact, we're Paul's epistles, because after mm-hmm. the after the resurrection, you look at the early church, the first writers. They took the Psalms as authoritatively as we take the New Testament, which means that what David wrote in this Psalm applies to us, not just those people before Christ, but to us. And that was a new thing for me. That was a verse I never saw type thing for me. Now, how do you see this verse now? Talk about the absolute significant importance of this verse
1: now as we follow I will tell you that this is huge uh, I mentioned that, you know, beforehand, you know, in, in Psalm fifty-one three, it says my sin is always before me. Uh, this psalm has always been before me. Um, and it is before me as I make an examination of conscience headed into confession. It's also before me and my go-to psalm that I pray after confession. Um, because I have a different context for understanding what having a clean heart created in me is um if i was just going forward for an altar call of course i understood that god's grace was necessary to help me live right but i had this kind of sense that ultimately my will uh was kind of the the barometer for this that i was going to rededicate and if you're going to rededicate that's you're recommitting to a plan of action Um, and even though I would have prayed words like, create in me a clean heart, O God, I wouldn't have necessarily understood that there was some kind of like a sacramental Mm -hmm. grace beyond my understanding that was surrounded in mystery that I could walk away from that altar in front of a Nazarene church. I mean, if I walked away from that altar after rededicating and recommitting, what I would walk away with was a thought like, all right, I'm gonna do better when I walk away from the confessional after you know unburdening myself and I think about creating me a clean heart O God and, and those words that I pray I feel like I'm a newborn baby <laughs> right <laughs> like there's something that has happened in there that has that is beyond my control beyond my power beyond my will that my will just merely has to cooperate with um and that's Again, you know, in this whole Calvinist versus Wesleyan thing, Calvinists are like, you can't do anything to save yourself. Therefore, you can't do anything to jeopardize your salvation on the Wesleyan side. Often you can fall into the error of this is all on you, man. You've got to respond. How are you going to, how are you going to respond to this trust? And with the Catholic understanding of the graces of the sacrament of reconciliation, you get a very real sense. And it's impossible to like quantify or even qualify necessarily that it's a both and. It is grace and free will all wrapped up into one thing. Um, and I have a profound sense that's kind of impossible to articulate to anybody who hasn't gone in that box and come out of it <laughs> as a as a brand new creation who's had a clean heart created in them.
0: Two scriptures that come to mind, my friend. First of all, Paul. For those of us that the Old Testament didn't apply anymore, we're on this side of the resurrection and the teachings of Jesus, Beatitudes, and all that, you know, how do they apply to our lives? Because we're on this side of the cross. We got Paul, we've arrived. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But Paul says something really amazing. He says in Philippians, hey, it's not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward. I press on. The point is he's on the journey himself. He admits it. He admits it. He admits in many places. Romans 7 that says, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. Lord Jesus, help me. That's not just what he was like before. That's now. It's the reality. This 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 little verse that you've nailed on. Recognize that when we stand right now before Christ, we're in need of renewal, both emotionally. Restore the joy, you know, deep down that. But also, my heart's a mess, and as First John says, that sometimes even our heart tries to condemn us our heart it's you know when your heart condemns you it's what he talks about when deep down you have a voice that says you aren't worthy you who are you to talk to god who are yeah. you to, that's what the heart is going to nail you on which is why david is hitting right on it in this verse
1: well and i would have isolated the passages that you're saying out of romans where you know of who will deliver me from this body of death? I do the thing that I do not want to do. I do not do the thing that I want to do. Or in Philippians, you know, three and four, when he's saying, you know, I press on toward the goal and he sounds like he's an athlete who just needs to put in more time at the spiritual gym. You could isolate those out and miss what happens in Hebrews, which is where, you know, the the author of Hebrews, might even be Paul, uh, says... You know, since we have a high priest, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. So there's this idea of priesthood, yeah. that there's a mediation, that there's sacrifice being made for us, namely Jesus, that that wasn't just a thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but a thing that extends through time. Um, and again, I would have had ways to explain this or to articulate this, but I wouldn't have wrapped my head around it. Um, in a both and way until I kind of read Augustine, not in the light of proof texts from Wesley or Calvin, but in the light of the patrimony of the magisterium of the church.
0: The prayer that our Lord gave us to pray. It's almost like he had this Psalm in mind because he says in his prayer, of course, forgive us, our debts as we forgive our debtors and our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Forgiving us, in other words, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit and then lead us not into temptation. In other words, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from it. There's a little bit of that both in there. The, the need for Restoring that which has been lost through our sin, but also, Lord, uh, don't pull away from me. Mm-hmm. I need to be close
1: to you. And there's a lot of Psalms that talk about that. Where are you, Lord? To draw near to. God and he will draw near to you. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, uh, or remember all you used to do for Israel. Why aren't you doing it now for me? Where are you? Why can't you respond to me? Where? Why can't I hear from you? And so this idea then of restoring unto me that relationship that I remember, Lord, mm-hmm. restore unto me that David was asking for that because he messed up. Well, I know you don't mess up, but I mess up a few times,
1: Matt. <laughs> you have not been listening to the first part of this interview. <laughs> uh, but but to bring it all back around, it's not that I was never taught that I had sinned and needed forgiveness. I was, of course, taught that. And it's not that I was taught that the mercy of God couldn't cover everything like a Calvinist would have heard, um, that the sovereignty of God... Uh, you know, could overshadow no matter what I've done. Um, it was just a matter that I didn't have a complete cohesive understanding of how it all fit together. I knew I'd done wrong. I needed to do better. I needed to ask forgiveness. And I knew that there's no way I could do enough good things to balance out the bad things. And so that way I had to rely on the sovereignty of God, but to put it all in a cohesive plan rather than the ideas that somebody had from reading the scriptures in the 16th or 17th century, but to understand how the church had thought about this concept over time really helped put it all together for me.
0: Let me ask you one final question as we we kind of close up here. Why is it important to have the church to know what is real sin and not real sin, to know what is real guilt? and not real guilt
1: well that all comes back to you know what saint paul says when he says there's worldly sorrow that leads to death and godly sorrow that leads to repentance um you know i don't know what kind of family you have that serves in the military but military suicides are at an all-time high um sorrow over something you've seen or done um and there's no way out what are you going to do despair Um or is there godly sorrow that says the world is messed up, I'm messed up, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to pray for my brothers and sisters who have been involved in horrible things too. Um I mean that's the difference. That's the difference. It's the difference between Judas and Peter.
0: Yeah, if all we do is Lord, I'm sorry I I messed up, please forgive me and then move on. There's always that lingering doubt. Well Am I forgiven? Am I forgiven?
1: Um, did he and that's hear? why I went forward at so many altar calls, because I didn't know. I didn't have blessed assurance like you Calvinists did. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, we didn't always care about it. You know, we didn't pray, any, you know, it was been forgiven. But the point is that that's why in John 20, the first thing that our Lord did uh, was to empower his chosen apostles to have that authority
1: to forgive. Forgive sins. Which uh, I would have never had a place to put in my theology. Well, maybe we need to talk about
0: that on our next episode. That's another segment. Gives, all right. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Wish you had more time. And I uh, look forward to being with you again on this. And those of you who have joined us, uh, thank you. And I'm assuming you came across this. Uh, recording through chnetwork.org but if you didn't then please check out www.chnetwork.org to find out more about the work of the coming home network god bless you see you again next time